All right, scumbags, welcome to episode three of the heaviest song in the world. Sorry for my uh, welcome, but, you know, we're going to be talking about punk rock this episode, so I wanted to say something kind of punk rocky. Does that work for you? Yep. What's your name again? Ryan. My name is Seth. This is the heaviest song in the world. Today we are covering 1975 to 1979. Interesting period for what we're talking about. Tough tough episode, man. It is a tough episode. It's a very transitional uh, state for this kind of music, but at the same time, it's also kind of a plateau in other yep. areas. I guess the most important thing to mention is this period will uh, deal with, I guess, forgive me for saying this, but what you might consider the fall of Sabbath, yep. in a sense. Fall of Sabbath, rise of Nuwabum. Nuwabum, the new wave of British heavy metal, which of course, I guess you could say Black Sabbath definitely played a hand in creating, yep. but as the, uh, a new genre that kind of popped up on the market this uh, around this time. I don't know what it's called. Oh yeah, punk rock. <laughs> Which, not going to talk about that too, too much today. Yeah, we are, actually. But uh, you, got any, you, got any, uh, um, you got any funny anecdotes to start us off well, with? Well, uh, we, can, we can go with some, uh, some old business. Um, we actually had someone that listens to this stupid fucking thing uh, tell us that they had some song Who are they? I don't want to be their friend anymore. <laughs> anyway. Her name's Amy. You know her. Oh. Um, but she listened to the first episode, and she thought that uh, there were a couple songs that we you know, didn't talk about that she wanted to recommend. Bullshit. <laughs> um, so if you want to uh, go ahead and Cue run, it that, up. run that first clip. What are we? Oh, this is on her suggestion. All right. You want to? This is uh, from 1967. Oh. This is the Electric Bruise. I know this song. It's on Nuggets. Good shitty guitar. It it is um the that song is you know three four minutes long something like that and I cut the heaviest part for that clip. I mean it's it's mostly like a really dreamy psychedelic song. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's called it's, I had too much yeah. dream last yeah. night. So uh, that that's why I didn't pick it because when you put that up against our 1967 oh, picks, that? like that's not heavier than uh, wow. Street Singer by Clearlight. That's not heavier than Bitter Creek. But it, it did. Creek. It did deserve God a rest mention. their souls. Yeah, and uh, but the the 1968 song. This is "Old Man Going" by the Pretty Things. I'd actually never heard this before. Neither Still not as heavy as Blue Cheer, but I'm I'm glad she brought it to my attention. I've heard that that vocal style before somewhere. Uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> I mean, not not entirely, of yeah. course. That song is a lot heavier than I had too much to dream last night. But still, I mean, not oh. heavier than Blue Cheer, not heavier than Gun. Oh, Definitely deserved to mention though, and I'm glad she brought it to our attention. Yeah, I mean, uh, anytime you can check out something new, the pretty thing. I had never heard of them, so do you know if they have a full body of work? Uh, or she, I, I just looked them up the other day. Uh, she, she, you know, dropped us a line on on the Instagram for the heaviest song in the world and told me to check those songs out. So I, I, mean, I that, need to look more into them. That could uh, definitely be on a Nuggets compilation as oh well yeah. too. 
So, and uh, I mean, there, there's a, a live version of that on YouTube uh, featuring David Gilmour on guitar. Oh, okay. So that's a pretty good one, too. In the meantime, uh, let's see, what was going on in 75? Well, you had kind of the golden era of classic rock, I guess you could say. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely anytime you think of stereotypical whatever plays on your radio state, local radio, classic rock radio station four times a day. It's mostly from around this era, too. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so I got, I got some stuff written down here. This is uh, 1975 Rush, Fly By Night. That's, that's that year. Um, this is the sixth Sabbath record. Sabotage came out this year. Um, Ted Nugent's self-titled debut. Okay. It's the, that's the album with Stranglehold. Zeppelin have an album come out in 75? Uh, I don't have it written down, but probably. Well, I guess this is also the period where uh, the bands who were started out really good in the late 60s and early 70s kind of started getting... Uh, yeah. And not to mention, that, like, uh, classic rock, for example, it's funny. You think of it, or at least I do, in, in your head, just like the mental image you have of it, it's such an American kind of thing. Like, you, you know, you picture rednecks and hillbillies listening to it but what you don't realize is that they're all 90 british percent bands. of those yeah. bands are english and it's funny and just like the ones that aren't uh the classic rock bands that are american that are known now most of them this is kind of like the formation of corporate rock yeah. where it was where the critics said yeah this isn't very good but you know the idiots out there who are paying money for it are buying it so it's when you have your your sticks and your journeys and that the, and the, uh, the, the the very the the lightest possible error of the prog rock stuff exactly that, that became arena rock yeah arena rock another good term for it is just you know sure they play a bitch in solo but they didn't really try too hard on that song but they know what grabs us yeah you got a kind of an explosion of southern rock bands too yo yeah molly hatchet yeah yeah 38 special 38 special oh pff, are we forgetting skinnered yeah <laughs> The Allman Brothers. Yeah. But one one thing I had written down here that I actually brought a clip for, you said you wanted to talk about it too. This is this is from 1975. This is, uh, it would have been cheating to pick this as as the heaviest song for 1975 because it's not a song. You know, <laughs> I, I respect what this man did, but this is, this is not a song. It's experimental noise. Not going to call it a song, but, uh. I brought 30 seconds of Lou Reed's Metal Machine music. Oh, boy. Just, just to show you that this, this is what is happening on the independent side of rock and roll at this time. I mean, I do like it. It's just not a song. think Lou might have listened to Crow Magnon's album. Yeah, so that that was about 30 seconds of the first track off Metal Machine Music, which I want to say is 14 minutes long, and it all sounds like that. Yeah, it's just definitely just, well, it's an appropriate name for it. But um, <clears throat> one thing about that album is, uh, like you're talking about with the transitional phase, because between, you know, 75 and 79 is when punk rock hit its apex. Mm -hmm. And the reason, <clears throat> of course, Lou Reed, we all know what kind of uh, influence and effect he had on punk rock. But with that album, um, if you're not familiar with the name Legs McNeil, he was a guy who was a, he wasn't in any bands, but he was in a forerunner and just uh, part of the early New York punk scene. He was um, the resident punk of Punk Magazine, which was edited by John Holstrom. But uh, they started that magazine just to kind of capture 
like what was going on in their local scene in New York around that time between like 74 and 76. And it was just kind of like an inside joke to them. <laughs> you know, like they didn't expect like they picked punk just because it was <laughs> what's actually, you know, its original name was for a guy who was, you know, someone's bitch in jail. Yeah. And that's how William S. Burroughs used that term in his novels. And that hints, <laughs> you know, they kind of took it from that as well. But more is just like a guy, somebody, you know, who didn't give a shit. And uh, going punk for junk. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But you had bands like Television, who mostly were the first band to play at CBGBs, I believe. And then uh, also, uh, 1975, you had the first album from uh, The Dictators, Go Girl Crazy. And these were kind of the roots. But like I said, um, like it was started as just like an inside joke, kind of. And they started a magazine and did dub interviews and asked people about cheeseburgers. Because to them, despite what it may have gone on to become and what it is considered now... Uh, it was punk rock was never supposed to be political. It was just these dumb group of friends who just wanted to write about cheeseburgers and, uh, you know, listen to Lou Reed and the Dictators and Chuck Berry albums. Because, I mean, like I said, that's what punk rock was originally. What its earliest formations was a band's just trying to make a return to oh, yeah, all that, early all that rock early, and roll. All that early punk rock is just, it's you know, it's slightly sped up and more poorly played late 50s rock and roll stuff. But, of course, uh, and then uh, what? kind of tipped over the coke machine on the third try was uh just the ramones just forming as a band and we'll talk about them in a minute more so but uh did you have something you wanted to say oh about no them? i was i was, I was, lit- I was when you said the ramones i was pointing at my notes as, as, as i guess to let you acknowledge yes i have the ramones written down here <laughs> Well, of course, because, I mean, what can you say? I mean, of course, throughout the 80s and even, as, you know, in their early albums, too, they took a more poppy sound because they always kind of still wanted, despite being at the start of punk rock, they still wanted to have a mainstream success. Oh, yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're just – I, I can't put myself back in the time frame of what that sounded like in 1976, 1977, but listening to the Ramones now, I mean, they're just – you know, a surf rock band with some doo-wop yeah. singing on it. Well, I mean, some of their songs are, are not just surf rock either. Some of, you know, of course, we'll talk about one soon that's more anthemic and maybe perhaps their most medley of songs. That was with a T, not not like a combination of songs, medley. But uh, so should we get into official picks? Actually, I got, w- I got one more honorable mention. Um, this uh, 75 was the debut record from Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Talked a lot about uh, oh, Blackmore last. Rising, year. correct? Yeah. Or is that their second album? Uh, uh, I think be. it might just be called. I think it might yeah. just be called Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. But we talked a lot about Blackmore in the last one, and this is another seminal rock band that he had a huge part in. Yeah, and also the start of a mainstream career for Ronnie James Dio. Yeah, oh. we, we we mentioned how uh, <laughs> Dio's nice guy persona might be some kind of a farce, seeing uh, as how I don't know it could have been Naomi and Blackmore. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I mean. Guys at that uh, at that higher ranking in their own yeah. little thing, whether it be singing or playing guitar, I mean, there's going to be a little ego on both sides, I think. But uh, if if you don't have any more honorables for '75, I'll go ahead and play my first song. Okay. Um, I, I, I I'm trying to jump into this because I just want to get the pronunciation of this out of the way because this this is difficult. It's a it's a Swedish prog rock band from 1975. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna post this album cover and the words as it's written on the Instagram and the Facebook page. So forgive me if I butcher this, but this is Rog E. Riggen, and the song is Det kan val inte vara farligt. Yeah, I've been there. 
It's uh, it's from 1975. This is the only album they ever they ever put out. They released a remastered version of it in 2006, and this is track one, side one. like to i would like you to but if you could for all the listeners too, just give us um a little explanation of the lyrical content of that <laughs> and uh tell us where they were coming from and just you know the overall themes and uh meaning of that song just, just because i've got blonde hair and blue eyes doesn't mean i speak that language well it was worth a shot but um yeah this is like i said at the top of this uh this episode this is a this was a tough one for me um i picked that song even though we mentioned it in the honorable mentions. I, Stranglehold is a heavier song, but I don't want to give Ted Nugent any more airtime than he already has. Although yeah, Stranglehold, he gets enough on his Stranglehold own. is a great fucking song. It's a bitchin' song. Um, vocals on Stranglehold is Derek St. Holmes, who I until I was researching this episode, I did not know that Derek St. Holmes is the basis for the Michael McKean character in Spinal Tap, David St. Hubbins. Oh. It's the name parody. That's an odd choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was a pretty rocking song, though. Yeah, think, that that that's the heaviest song on the record. You heard how you know it kind of came in heavy and then got a yeah. lot more light. The the rest of the album follows that path and goes a lot lighter, and more ethereal. I feel like a lot of songs from this period have that just that kind of pace about them, though, where it's just it's it's like a kind of like a western gallop, I guess yeah. you could say, where it's not quite as uh, medievally as metal would go on to be. But uh, my pick for never 1975 is, um, let's see, I think I know the information on this. It's from a, a lesser-known band out of Birmingham, England. <laughs> Actually, we might have talked about them a few times uh, last episode. But uh, my pick for the heaviest song in the world as of 1975 was from the album <clears throat> released in July of 1975, Sabotage, by the band Black Sabbath. Symptom of the Universe. This is another it's a great one. song. It's another one of those songs where it's uh, you know, pioneer of thrash and speed metal. So, you well, know, let's give it a quick listen and you tell me. <laughs>
a great song. Yeah, it's a wonderful song. And I, I mean, like I, oh, I feel oh. like I kind of handcuffed myself by doing all Sabbath last episode. Yeah. I told myself no more Sabbath. No matter, no I was matter wondering what. if you were going to pick that one. No, no more. We Sabbath. were going to finally have no. the same pick for a year, but I mean, a lot can happen. But uh, yeah, d- d- just to let you know, I can see your list, and yeah. we have the same pick for a year. Okay, I think I know what it is. Probably, <laughs> actually, I'm hoping it's two. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, what can you say about that song? It is definitely proto speed, proto thrash, and just that riff that dun 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 dun. You've heard that a few times that's over some crunchy the years. Shit. And what do you know? You know, a familiar riff, you know, from metal songs that Iomi wrote. I don't believe it. All right. So 1976. 76. Um, keeping with the, with the punk rock talk, this is the debut from the Ramones. Um, this is the debut from the Runaways, uh, Cherry Bomb. That, that's, a, that's a heavy track. Hello, Father. Hello, Mom. Uh, more Sabbath, Technical Ecstasy. Kind of when they started to go a little off yeah. the radar. Um. Rush 2112 uh, oh, came yeah. out this year. Rush put out three records in like 17 months because Fly By Night was 75, and then they had another album in 75, I want to say it's Masterclass, and the 2112 in 76. I can believe that. Just They, they, they seem like workhorse type of guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've put out pr- probably close to 30 studio albums since then, so, I mean. But, uh, so, 76. Um, uh, see, uh, <laughs> that punk documentary about the black punk band from Detroit that came out a couple years ago, uh, Death. Death. Uh, their first single came out in 76, Keep On Knocking. You know, I think uh, that whole album they did, though, it was recorded in 74, yeah. which is crazy. I'm glad you mentioned Death because I wanted to talk about them a little bit, too. But that's just crazy because that album, even though they, you know, it's like a, you'd say it's proto-punk rock, but it sounds like punk rock. That was more like second or third wave punk rock. Yeah, you know, it doesn't really sound like '76 or '77 punk rock. It sounds like something from a few years later. Well, I mean, like the whole the whole idea behind punk rock was, you know, just getting in there and playing the music, not having the technical chops necessarily. But these guys had the technical chops. They were in a funk band. Yeah. And then I get I, I can't remember exactly. I think it was Alice Cooper. Like they went to see an Alice Cooper show and fell in love with hard rock. And so they went and, you know, tucked themselves away and wrote this fucking ridiculous, fast, hard rock record that utilized their skill as musicians. And so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a mid-80s punk record in the mid-70s. And not to mention the subject matter, like a song, politicians in my eyes. Yeah. Like, I mean... Not a lot of stuff at that time would go so far as that. Refusing to change the name of your band from the word death, which would have gotten them signed. Yeah, that, that is pretty much what made them kind of fall apart as a band. <clears throat> but it's kind of funny because they could have just waited a few more years and then it, it really wouldn't have mattered what the name of your band was because 76, like we said, the debut of the Ramones album, which there's a lot of controversy and talk over what was the first punk album what was the first punk song who was the first punk band and of course there's a you know it is it punk is a very paradoxical kind of subject just because so many people have so many complete opposite opinions on it it's very strong opposite opinions but you know what in a sense it's almost like what's great about it is just the fact that there are say right-wing people who are into punk rock and then extreme left-wing people who are into punk rock but neither one are really right in saying that either of their ideals, like you know, are yeah. the the written word for punk rock, because everybody just has their own interpretation of it. Well, I mean, you 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 even kind of mentioned it in the first episode, not necessarily technically about punk rock, but anytime you hear of something being the first punk this, the first metal that, 
no, some guy in his garage was the first. Just no one ever heard of it. Yeah. This, you know, maybe this is the first instance of a, a, a semi-major label release of something. But well, what I would it's say, always, all, all those arguments of who is the first one is just fucking talking into the wind. Yeah. So I would just have to say, as far as after it gets its name, after it's established, what I think is what, the first. So you, the 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 term punk as a term for the music. Came from Legs McNeil yes. in '75. In the mag, uh, I don't. I think the the first issue of the magazine might have been '76. Okay. I'm, I th- I don't. Th- I think '75 might be a bit early. I could check, but pff, who's got time for all that? <laughs> but my point just being with just yeah, with '76, it was the first Ramones album. That, in my opinion, is the first true punk rock album. They're the first punk rock band because I mean, <laughs> as ironic as this is, it's kind of what set of rule a, a set of uh standards and rules for it even yeah. though that is completely once again paradoxical to what it's supposed to be about but that's just how people said about it years later but when it was originally about it was just what Neil said about how just it was living in New York City at the yeah. time uh, it was bankrupt Gerald Ford told the city to drop dead uh you know it just he said it felt like the apocalypse and yeah. so it was just in the 70s it's almost mirrors today now with just it was a time where everybody was about how nice they could be and just like it was the rise of political correctness and so that was just their way to fight that too and just be like i don't you know i don't care we just want to talk about cheeseburgers and chuck berry records so in saying that i think this is the you know at the heart of hearts the first punk rock record and so what the hell i don't know if it necessarily was the heaviest song but just for what it does we'll listen to it a little bit and then talk about it afterwards. But my pick for 1976, side one, track one, from the self-titled album Ramones that was, <coughs> excuse me, released in April of 1976. Here it is, Blitzkrieg Bop. personally don't know enough about all the various Ramones lineup changes. Who is the who is the lineup on that? The lineup on that is uh Joey, Johnny, Dee Dee, and Tommy. Tommy, okay. Who, Tommy was replaced by Marky? Yes. Okay. Because I think it was I can't Yeah, Road to Ruin was Marky's first album because uh Tommy just uh stopped to be the producer. Okay. Even though two albums later they got Phil Spector to <laughs> produce an album. But yeah, say no more. I mean just you had never heard guitar like that like no. that is the definition of shitty guitar yeah. right there and just the essence of that song is what makes it heavy and the music was never the same again because essentially and of course this is going to be a huge part of this entire podcast but punk rock essentially created the subgenre yep and 
And you know another thing is when you get into punk rock as a teenager, you can usually be pretty stupid and ignorant about it because when you do that, you want to be a punk and you don't want to listen to or appreciate any other music. But then the good thing about it is by getting into punk rock at an early age, when you get over that bullshit, then you're you will listen to any music yeah. because it's like what the hell I've been through the ringer like I can I can deal with anything you know and it just kind of it opens your mind but yeah most of the time when you first get into it you're gonna be a narrow-minded idiot about something you're supposed to be very open-minded about I, th- I think the, the the same can be said about people who were like super into heavy metal you know oh, t- tw- twenty year old metalheads don't like anything that doesn't have you know double bass and shit like that so. <laughs> So what you got for seventy six? Uh, right, um, I just spilled my heart to you. <laughs> well, uh, there, I saw one thing on my notes that we didn't mention uh, for seventy six. Uh, honorable mention. Uh, oh yeah. Then Lizzie's Jailbreak record. Uh, I, I you know what I wanted to mention the song Emerald, especially off yeah. that album. I mean that came out in seventy six, and <clears throat> that sounds like Iron Maiden and Motorhead made a song together almost. Yeah, that's a that's a killer record. Rest in peace, Phil Lynott. But uh, my pick for '76 is back to back Swedes. Oh, more Swedes! Yeah, it's, uh, this is the band. Swedes. This, this is the band Zane. Zane. This is uh, they they formed in '76 and only recorded three songs, not even a full album, just three songs. They have the single "Step Aside," which is the track that I'm going to play. That's side A, side B would be "Damage," and then they had another track that didn't make it onto the record that was put on a compilation a couple years later. This song is weird it would be heavy without it but after they recorded this stuff their producer without their knowledge added a bunch of weird spacey keyboard effects that kind of give it a slight ominous and at the same time comical tone because you can kind of see so it's like all the elements that would make it heavy are immediately taken away by the comical well, tone. Well, like you, you, you can you can hear this song and go like, yeah, you know, if they if they cleaned up that guitar a little bit, like this could be kraut rock. But it wasn't designed to be that way. Like somebody outside of the band was just like, hey, this song isn't good enough without these weird keyboard beeps and bloops. What's the Swedish kraut rock equivalent? I can't think of a racial slur for a Swede. <laughs> uh, what, what meatball what, rock? Yeah, there you go, IKEA rock. Sob rock. <laughs> but uh yeah, so this is this is uh Zane with Step Aside from nineteen seventy six. So uh, that that probably could have 
could have been helped by a little bit more tempo. You know, you'd like to bring up tempo. <laughs> yeah. that, that was a little bit faster. That might have been, you know, a lot more evil sounding. But at the pace it was, it's got it's got a little it's bit. It's definitely got a Sabbathy feel to it's it. It's very Sabbathy. There's yeah. there's a lot of children of the grave in that. Was there a, was that female fronted vocals? Nope. Really? And but they were singing in English on that yeah. one. Okay. Just three three weird. Damn right dudes. they were. <laughs> See how to cap. Oh. You mentioned the, the producer getting spacey, and that reminded me. I forgot to mention the very beginning of this episode. Speaking of space rock, 1975, Lemmy is fired uh, from Hawkwind yep. for going for getting caught in Canada with drugs. So he decided to name his new band after the last song he wrote for Hawkwind, which was about doing speed. <laughs> and it was uh, that band's name is Motorhead. They formed in 1975. They released their first album, and then next year we got 77. But, uh, yeah, we'll talk about them in a second. Yep. But Motorhead formed in 75, released their first album in 77. But that was 1976. You now, heard. Now we get to 77. Now we get to 77. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, what do I have chosen? Uh, this one was a tough one. This, this, this was probably my most difficult year of this. But uh, there is one thing I should say about this year and the previous year was another a very transitional phase of metal and kind of who flipped the switch was Judas Priest. Yep. Because released their first album, 74, Rock and Roller, which was more kind of a psyche album. But then 76, they released Sad Wings of Destiny, uh, 77, Sin After Sin, 78, A Stained Class. And then it was released in the UK in seven, late 78 as... Uh, Killing Machine. Then it wasn't released in '79 in the U.S., but we know it best as Hellbent for Leather. Yep. But four albums, four years that just kind of wrote a new manual for heavy metal. Yeah, um, I, I think they took the technical mastery that bands like uh, Sabbath and Deep Purple were doing, and they turned the production quality up a little bit. I mean, like their, their yeah. songs are crisp. Like, Sad Wings of Destiny sounds like it was recorded last week. Yeah. They, they took the speed of songs like Highway Star, they took the heaviness of st- songs like Children of the Grave, and you, you yeah, add... Yeah, it's like you, each track, you, you, you don't you know what Rob you're Halford getting. To it. Yeah, and it's just uh, the uh, the neoclassical guitar, as it was known, because it's when metal started to kind of go away from the yeah. blues origins and more to the classical composition styling. We, we've probably talked about this on many a drunken night, but Rob Halford, best metal vocalist of all time? Ooh, you mean as far as range? Or yeah, because I, I I saw I saw Priest live, and he's he's got growls too. He's got guttural vocals. Yeah, too. I mean, yeah, he definitely does. I mean, you and I mean, hear I saw him. Later in, stuff. It was two thousand and five, maybe, and I mean, he was still hitting those notes, man, running all over the place, driving motorcycles on stage. <laughs> I still haven't seen them live. I really, it's really a fucking like killer, them. man. I bet it is. But uh, so yeah, so like I said, Priest kind of. Not rewrote the book, but they amended the Constitution, yeah. I suppose you could say, and that's when it started to take on. I mean, that was easily the roots of new wave of British heavy metal, which kind of, like I said, with the neoclassical, kind of not so much a medieval feel that power metal would create in a few years later, but uh, it still had like a folky element yeah, to had, it. It was a, just no, sped pa- up. Power metal definitely emphasized that, you yeah. know, that, that mm-hmm. they brought that to the forefront, but... Yeah, there's the, you can you can hear all the classical scales these guys are running on fretboards. Yeah. Like uh, you know, listening to a Saxon song still makes you want to invade Scotland or <laughs> yeah, something. Absolutely. All right, so '77, my pick. It's uh, it's actually a Judas Priest song. It's uh, from Sin After Sin. 
I'm going to go ahead and jump on with you here because My 77 is a Judas Priest song from Sin After Sin. Is it by chance Dissident Aggressor? Last track on the album, Dissident Aggressor. All covered, right. Covered by Slayer on their South of Heaven record. No shit. Yeah, it's That's not good. Oh, is it not? It's not good. Well, I mean, what's that? All right. So like I said, well, that made things simple because yeah. we just cut five minutes. Well, actually, we cut 40 seconds out of the whole <laughs> show. But... uh Oh, well, I guess I'll just play yours since you got it all mapped out. Yeah, I, I cut a I, I cut a bit of the intro off because the song's got a big big lead up. Yeah, that's why I was trying to find a spot in the song, but you did it for me. So here we go. Here's our first. This is a milestone in the yep. show. This three, is our three episodes in, so that's uh, three episodes and three songs. Yeah, so uh, t- took us twelve songs each before we finally hit one on the head. Aw, that's a beautiful moment. This is night from 1977 from the album Sin After Sin, Judas Priest. Dissident Aggressor, a.k.a. the heaviest song in the world as of 1977. Officially. That, that song just took a big shit on the two songs we played previously. Yeah, no shit. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nothing ever shits on Blitzkrieg <laughs> Bop. You don't take a shitskrieg bop. But no, that his, I mean, like I said, I'm talking about rewriting books. He kind of brought in the new way to sing, sing metal, yeah. too. I mean, just, yeah. And, and All right, we, to hear that song, maybe he is the best metal vocalist and, ever. And, and that, see, that, I wanted to bring that point up again. We, we talked about this in another episode about how you can tell who's in charge of the band by what's brought to the forefront. And a lot of these heavy songs, they still have these shitty vocalists who, you know, people are trying to put their, pull their vocals to the front of the mix because they don't want the, you know, these crushing guitars to Rob Halford's voice is the star of Judas Priest and everyone in Judas Priest is a great musician, but that his voice has to be pulled to the front. It's, it's the star of the show. I don't think even, he probably doesn't even need to mix that way. Yeah. Sure. It was just like, Hey, it's there. He didn't even have a microphone. He was just, he he was singing at the the fretboard. It was being picked up by the picture. It was in a pub down a row. Yeah. But uh, yeah. um, Another thing though, about Judas Priest lyrics is they kind of, you know, boarded on political stuff and kind of, took uh you know advocacy rights and it's funny because i don't know what the fuck i was talking about advocacy rights <laughs> you know what i mean just uh more of an anti-establishment yep. attitude necessarily i mean of course sabbath saying about nuclear war and the troubles of that but i think priest attack uh <clears throat> issues more head-on and you got to look back now is that knowing that he was a gay man in 70s england where at the time sodomy was illegal there so you just have to imagine like what kind of rage and you know suppression he felt and how just you hear him get rid of it yeah. all right there well, and, and and the kind of balls that he had to bring leather daddydom into the mainstream and like create this metal uniform that these people had no idea what was going on well that's debated i mean that's kind of, he he claims that i mean i know but you gotta i mean i i think the ramones also should be mentioned as far as bringing the leather jackets leather jacket into jacket. it and then um richard hell 
who was in television, the Heartbreakers the and Voidoids. Yeah, like he he's kind of credited with creating the punk rock look. You know, the m- shitty hair and the yeah. sleeveless ripped T-shirt and just. Wait, it wasn't Malcolm McLaren. He didn't like, invent like everything th- about punk? I think he did, yeah. Uh, well, if you want your band to start wearing red vinyl and have a huge yeah. communist flag, which is what he did to the New York Dolls. But, uh, so yeah, 77, Dissident Aggressor by Judas Priest. First, uh, first double selection. They Yeah, and I think we know to this day what an effect they've had. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one, one band that we did not mention from 77, uh, I, I put this down here because it's notable that this is the debut album of Quiet Riot, who they're never going to be talked about in a heaviest song context, but they're notable for being the first heavy metal band to ever have a number one record. Oh, yeah. Their their third album, I think it was like 83. Yeah, that was when the Sunset Strip blew up and everybody was just like, we can do it. Metal Health made it to number one, and then it wasn't until Slave to the Grind, like 10 years, almost 10 years later, that a metal album would debut debut at number one. So, you know, Quiet Riot, for for what a joke some of their songs are, and their most popular songs are... uh, a co- as a cover anyway because come on feel the noise what's that Slade yes yeah so you know they they, they became kind of a, a joke hair metal thing but first heavy metal number one I mean they're they're important I mean, and uh, standards another another 77 song that I, I the only reason I want to mention it is because I never knew this and it seems so weird to me but Black Betty by Ram Jam came out in 77 <laughs> but Black Betty by Ram Jam that we all know is not by Ram Jam. Really? Black Betty, originally a Leadbetter song, Leadbelly, sorry. It was recorded by this Cincinnati band called Starstruck in 76 and went nowhere. The guitar player from Starstruck quit that band and then re-released an edited version of that song. He cut it down to make it a little faster. Didn't change anything on it, but didn't credit anyone from Starstruck other than himself as Ram Jam, and it becomes a number one song. Holy shit! Yeah. So and so, anytime you hear Ram Jam's Black Betty, that Ram Jam is not a band. Ram Jam is one guy from Starstruck. So that just even adds so much volume to the joke. What's your favorite Ram Jam song? Yeah. Because so there's only one. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! Well, thank you for opening our eyes on that one. Uh, another thing to mention: '77, as I said a few minutes ago, debut of Motorhead. Uh, their their self-titled album was released in 1977. And uh, in the Ramones, this is Rocket to Russia? Uh, Rocket to Russia and Leave Home. Okay. But uh, oh, 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 we're on the, you know, well, we're mentioning all three of those. Yes, well, maybe not. Ah, well, all may not have uh, a contender for heaviest song in the world. Go get them right now and listen to yeah. them. But, uh, yeah, Motorhead's debut album hadn't really found that true motorhead sound yet but still it is different than music that was coming out at that time but uh and it's crazy to think that that guy was in hawkwind <laughs> like that that guy played on space ritual all right so uh on to 1978 let's uh, get some honorable mentions out of the way this is uh black sabbath's last record with ozzy osbourne before he came back for their most recent album never, never say, say die, die. yeah um you we mentioned it earlier this is a uh, stained class uh by judas priest and something that when I was getting into punk rock, at granted a later age than you, but still in my dickhead youth, um, you come across no wave bands, and I hated no wave at the time. But in researching this stuff, I'm kept still coming not sure up, I'm sold on it. St- stuff kept coming up about no wave bands, so I went back and I, I downloaded and listened to the No New York compilation that was produced by Brian Eno. That this is this year, 1978, and. Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, man, that's a fucking heavy, 
fun band. Check out it's a great go, name. Yeah, go on YouTube and and look up Teenage Jesus and the Jerks and their song Burning Rubber. That's a fucking great track. But uh, but my pick for 1978. Now everybody strap in because this is going to be a little emotional roller coaster of a story I got to tell. The band is Sorcery, formed in Hollywood in 1976, conceived as not only a band but a theatrical stage show featuring two dueling magicians. The show was called The King of the Wizards versus The Prince of Darkness. They performed this in, you know, like supper clubs for, you know, a couple months, and then they're signed to record the soundtrack to a movie called Stunt Rock. This is real. Look it up on IMDb. The movie is called Stunt Rock. Now, what this is is a movie about a stage producer putting on the stage show The King of the Wizards versus The Prince of Darkness. It's the dumbest fucking thing in the world. I, I, as I'm reading this, I'm just like, all right, I got I to gotta find a copy of Stunt Rock. And then my heart falls to the floor because this is not the sorcery that this song is. There are two sorceries from 1976. The fun one, whose story I just told you, and this fucking bullshit band from Chicago that has one good song that I'm about to play for you now. So this is the dumb sorcery with their song oh. Snow Shit off of Sinister Soul. Snow Shit? Snow Shit. By the, by the way, that was a hell of a red herring of a story. Right? <laughs> Imagine me. I'm, I'm typing this whole thing up. I'm just like, what? A fucking movie called Stunt Rock about a stage? What is happening here? And then I get down and I'm just like, oh, it's a different band. So did you ever listen to Stunt Rock? No, I couldn't find it. Oh. So it must have sucked. <laughs> so there's no evidence of uh, the Prince of Darkness against who was the... the no, I, the, the movie exists. I just couldn't find it online. Son of a bitch. I'm sure there's a copy somewhere. Well, anyway. It's on IMDb. This was Sorcery with... Uh, snow Shit off the album Sinister <laughs> Soldiers. Snow Shit. All right. Here we go. 78 Snow Shit. talked about pulling things to the front of the mix when you know you're trying to pump up the singer something tells me that that was produced by the bass player considering you could still hear his bass above the guitar player solo <laughs> yeah that was definitely interesting i mean of course it's funny just the way you discovered that on a whim like that yeah and well, it just I, happened I, to be a heavy song i was looking up on RateYourMusic.com, I was just going through all these oh, yeah. lists of, of, of heavy stuff from the 70s because I'm like, man, I feel so bad that I picked Judas Priest because that song is heavy as shit, but I want to, you know, 
pump up some stuff that people haven't heard before. Pick somebody out of a potato patch. Yeah. So so I'm, I'm I'm trying to find things that I've never heard, and I come across the the song Snow Shit, and I'm like, well, that sounds stupid enough for me to at least give it a listen. And I find it on YouTube, and I'm like, this actually could work. This right. is heavy. This so is then I start song. looking up Sorcery Band and find that whole Wikipedia entry about stunt rock, and I'm like, this is fucking great. The years line up and everything, and then nope, different band. The only thing I could find about this band, this this sorcery from Chicago, was like a two line review of this album on Encyclopedia Metalum. So they just kind of re- no, but they have they did release a whole LP. Yeah. So, well, my pick for seventy eight is about uh, <laughs> let's see, about ninety one percent shorter than that because you said <laughs> the whole song was nine minutes. Mine was definitely not, but uh, this band, this will be their first mention. Well, it's probably be their only mention on the whole when it's all said and done. But speaking of when it's all said and done is when we have completed this podcast. If we were to go ahead and say name the top ten most influential bands that were used throughout it, this band would easily be in there. Now I'm very interested. Well, you know, everybody loves them. Uh, maybe they haven't always been a household name, and they especially weren't at the time of their uh, career. But they have definitely become so in the past 20 years or so. But uh, it's the Misfits. Ah, who, you know, went on to influence pretty much every metal band in the 80s. Because, I mean, they, I, I think most importantly was the imagery they used, which was they took on the macabre and the B-horror movies, and it just, it was a spooky, and it was almost proto-Satan metal, in a sense, <laughs> even though, you know, it was punk rock, but... I'm, I'm, you look like you want to say something? Well, I'm, just, I'm interested as in what you're about to play, because I have a Misfits song from 79 written down on my honorable mentions. Okay. So... Well, uh, what I'm going to play, uh, well, let me say a little something about the song first, is just, um, it, it's definitely a, a roots, a pioneering hardcore punk rock song, is because that, you know, around s- after the initial of 75 to 77, then with the second wave coming in the late 70s and early 80s, of course, hardcore became the dominant force, and, you know, this one is kind of proto that, and it's just a sense that we all agree that Danzig is a Glenn Danzig is an amazing singer and a terrible person. Yeah, he's he's a shithead, but I love him. Yeah. But um, in this song, yeah, I think another big factor in the difference of where music started to take it to get heavier was more shouting in your songs as opposed to just singing. But like I said, he can do it all. Oh yeah. Misfits' first single was actually released in '77. It was the She and Cough Cool split. But <laughs> that single, they didn't even have a guitar player. And on that, it's just Danzig playing an, uh, an electric piano and then bass and drums. And both those songs would be re-recorded years did they later. Have, did they ever have a guitar player before Doyle? Yeah. Oh, well, that's another thing is that um, I believe it was, I'm not sure how to, if it's Frenchy or Franchet Coma. I believe he played drums. Um, t- guitar. Guitar on the uh, first album. But uh, Bobby Steele is actually the guitar player who was responsible for creating that distinct, like, fuzzy misfit okay. sound. Like, he was the one and i don't know what happened but he was pretty much kind of worked out of the band because doyle was jerry only's younger brother Mm -hmm. danzig taught him how to play guitar and then they just kind of worked him out taught him how to lift weights (laughs) yeah that too but uh yeah so bobby Steele was gonna go and then he formed the undead but i think how old how old doyle is because i saw i saw the misfits at fun 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 a couple years ago and he's still huge Oh uh, yeah, well he I'm pretty sure he was born in 64, so okay. he's in his early 50s now, but at the time I guess well he was in his late 40s. So yeah. Not a big difference. Anyway, let's get on. My pick for the heaviest song in the world released in 1978 off the uh single of the same name. It was what month did this come out in? It was released in June of 78. 
the song is, like I said, off this is the title, that uh, single of the same name, Bullet. Texas is the reason. Yeah, I, I've definitely heard that as a band name before. But uh, to my knowledge, that is the first and only song that uh, gives a vivid description of a presidential assassination and then requesting that the widowed first lady uh, give you a hand job. I could be mistaken, but I would say uh, just considering the pace, the tones, and the sing- the vocal stylings of that song, along with its... Uh, how you would say thematic elements yeah, feels like a safe bet on that yeah so i mean that's my vote it's rock i mean it i don't know if it was that song but just this band in general yeah just that's a killer track and like i said I, for for since we're on the 79 now my honorable mention the, uh, the hard business single came out uh, in 79 that's probably my favorite misfits song actually it's, it's up there for me too uh like like I said, I saw them when that ill-fated uh, Dantic yeah. Legacy tour. Oh, that was one of two songs you guys. Yeah, the, one of the only two songs they played. Hard business. Dantic came out wearing a mask. Yeah, if only they had French onion soup. <laughs> but uh, so uh, more honorable mentions from '79. You you spoke about it. Uh, in your uh, I forgot to mention Hotel California for '77. <laughs> <laughs> it's got it's got some heavy elements to it. It does. It's a, Don it's Felder. A, it's a heavy song, mate. But uh. Since you talked about it in, in your breakdown of the Misfits, um, the rise of hardcore, this is Black Flag's Nervous Breakdown EP in 1979. Um, we talked about them earlier, too. This is the debut album from Saxon. It's the debut album from Accept. And speaking of the Misfits, this is another band that I came across that I'd never heard of before, but uh, I, I have written down right here in my notes, Diet Misfits. It's a band called The Hand of Doom. And the I wonder song, where they got that name. The, the song is called Poison Oise. As in poison and noise combined into oh, one word. Oh, poison noise. Yeah, but uh, it's not super duper heavy. But you know, call yourself Hand of Doom and look like greasers and play some some. Fuck DB. it, go with it. Oh, a couple of things I wanted to mention before we get to seventy nine is from seventy eight. I forgot to do my HMs. What uh, Exciter by Judas Priest off the album Stained Glass. That's definitely another. Oh yeah. Pioneering speed metal song, but uh, it sounded too much like my seventy nine pick, which I want. You know, you'll see why when we get there. Why. I, uh, I'm not going to let anyone take anything take that one's place. <laughs> and then uh, another one we were talking about, we've talked about Rainbow a bunch, but uh, Kill the King off of uh, uh, Long Live Rock and Roll. That is a badass song, and it's about killing a king. And uh, I know he has a lot of lim- lyrics similar, but I'll always have the soft spot for I need a spell and a charm. <laughs> and uh, uh, a note on that Black Flag release, that's pre-Henry Rollins. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's Keith, Keith Morris. Morris. All right, so we're officially on to 79. I guess we are, considering you were talking about that. One thing I'll mention from 79, it's my, my only honorable mention, because this. but uh, just if you want to talk about in heavy volume, a little crust punk for you, 
crasses feeding of yep. the 5,000. Just that opening track, it's not even really music. It's just uh, Eve Libertine uh, kind of just talking about Jesus for a few minutes uh, with a, the really loud something going off in the background. Yeah. And, and you know, speaking of crust stuff and, and Arco stuff, before this episode started recording, we were listening to the Amoebics demo. <laughs> yeah, tough stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so not always my cup of tea, but I'll, I'll I'll give some respect to Crass just for having the balls to say and do what they did. A few years later, they would uh, I forget what the actual acronym was, but they sent a they put a record, a promo record in this women's magazine, and it, they used Crass, and I forget what the actual letters stood for, but it was meant to appear as it was some kind of oh, okay. women's uh, group, and then it was just you know ultra fe- feminism and you know typical Crass shit and. A lot of women bought that. But, uh... You want to go first with me? Ah, I want you to go first, because this this one's personal. All right, well, uh, I I have a feeling you're going to smile real big when I say this. Um, Let's go ahead and get the name name out there right away. Uh, No no ramp up. 1979, um, this is my pick, Motorhead, off the album Overkill. Uh, This is the last track on the record. I chose Limb from Limb. Motorhead's second album. The third would come out later in 79. They had two records in 79. Um, this was, like I said, this the last track on the original release, but the re- the remastered release in 96 added five tracks, including their Louie Louie single mm. that had uh, previously been you know, just available as a single. And, like I said, I could see your list, so uh, I'm glad <laughs> I got this note written down. The title track of this record, Overkill, was written when... Phil the Filthy Animal Taylor was practicing his double bass rhythms by himself, and the other guys from Motorhead came in and were just like, what are you doing? Because, I mean, he's basically just, like, running on, on, on a double bass pedal, and that spawned them to write the song Overkill. But my pick is Limb from Limb, 1979, off the album Overkill. This is Motorhead. Thank you for being respectful. <laughs> Thing, and there ain't no shame in his bed at night. And is that what made you go with that one? Yeah. It's just the overall. It's uh, it's it's a bluesier tone. It is. It's 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 not. I, I I figured that you would go like we've talked about before, tempo based. So I wanted to just get some like nice heavy, crunchy blues. All right, stop peeking in their presence on Christmas <laughs> Eve. Ah, as I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no that's fine. I, I mean, you want me to go ahead? Crunchy, now? heavy blues riffs. Uh, yeah. Well, my my pick for 1979. Yeah, like I said, I already gave you my honorable mentions, and I mean there aren't wor- there aren't enough words for this song, but it's off the same album. But uh, 
that to me this song it's appropriate so appropriate that it came out in 1979 cuz this song almost just says goodbye 70s 80s what you got i mean like you said all right and you know obviously the story you were telling earlier yep. is about this song i'm picking but filthy just doing a double bass kick and i mean had you ever heard a bass a double bass no, played for that long at that pace and you know in a song until then and of course like <laughs> Dare I say it's a proto blast beat? Yep. Besides Attila creating yeah. it in 1970. Thank you, John Smalls of Attila. But yeah, I, when when I was researching that album for my pick, and I saw the Filthy Animal tell that story, where he was just like, "Yeah, I was basically training for a marathon on a double bass pedal." And and he finished that marathon in under two hours. <laughs> Unlike this song, if you ever saw it live, if you ever saw Motorhead live, they it's already a six minutes or a five minute song. It's about double that because they never stop with the outro on it. I, I did have the pleasure of seeing them back in 2002. Naturally, it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. But uh, like I said, this song, it, it, in my opinion, it creates the 80s as far as heavy metal and heavy music goes itself. And what do you know? It's a side one track one from 1979. Ugh, one more thing I should mention, sadly, in December of, like, as I said before, this was always the song they ended their night with. So this was the last song Motorhead ever played, too, in December of 2015. So, rest in peace, Lemmy. This is Overkill. And Off Filthy the Animal. And, oh, yeah, I forgot he died Nine a month November. before. Yeah. So, Filthy, Lemmy, R.I.P. This is Overkill. Off the album Overkill by Motorhead. as new wave as of british heavy metal as yeah, it gets right that's there that's a fucking killer song man it's a great like i said i just think that opened the door for everybody to kind of lose their shit in the 80s and be like this is where we can take it <clears throat> and as we'll talk about in our next episode <laughs> but uh yeah it kind of just that song with a few other songs we mentioned of course just paved the way with the creation of punk rock and then motorhead themselves pretty much being the first band to be like i'll take elements of both yeah and then create it, it kind of just blasts the doors off of the limits. Yeah, look, we, 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 we use the, the phrase proto this, proto that. So Motorhead, the, the proto crossover. 
I wouldn't even say proto. I would just say they're the crossover. They're the crossover band. I mean, they have to be, you know. And they're and then after that, it didn't matter. I mean, because everybody would have their own genres and it'd still be crossover. But I guess in punk rock and metal and just hard rock in general, I really feel like that song and that album and that band just kind of paved the way to be like, do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. And you know what? So. I, f- I feel like that song is like the epitome of everything that Motorhead was like. You know, when you when you picture them, because I've never seen them live. When you picture them playing that song live, you you see you know Lemmy with the wide stance and the mic stand real high up with the mic pointed down at his face, just throat back, railing on that bass, fucking great. It, it was it was like you said every every time it kind of winds down, just just starts back up, and he just kind of gives you that like little wry smile of just like nope, not yet. Yeah. That was a uh, great show, too. I mentioned it was in 2002 just because it was about a year after Joey Ramone died before they did R-A-M-O-N-E-S. He's uh. like, but a year ago, a friend of mine died. His name was Joey fucking Ramone. And, of course, everybody cheered, and it just it was not good enough for him. And he was like, I said his name was Joey fucking Ramone. And then, finally, that, that got everybody got going. But uh, yeah, it's sad that now it's come that a band is gonna say that about Lemmy now. Yep. So rest in peace, Lemmy. Thank you for everything you did. But yeah, just uh, I would say this episode and the years we talked about it was very important because of just the mergings and how just every band from the '80s and either of those genres yep. were influenced by the other one. So, but next episode, '80 80 to '84. We're about to get fucked up. Yeah, this, this is gonna come be, at me, bro. This is gonna get big. This um, all right, do, do we want to come to a consensus? Because I don't know if I can. For me, for me, it's dissident aggressor and overkill. One A, one B. I can't yeah. pick between the two. Well, you want me to help you then? Yeah, go ahead. Let's go with overkill. All right. <laughs> I mean, we owe the man that much. Yeah. Halford die, and maybe we'll talk about <laughs> dissident aggressor. Well, oh but, no! By the way, Halford, don't die. Please don't die. Oh yeah, of course not. But uh, well, actually, Priest, I think they're saying they're doing this is. Or they're done with touring, or maybe they'll do a few shows. Every time they say it's their last yeah. tour, though, they, they do another Sabbath's show. This is last tour. I know, well, I know they're playing, Priest is playing at some festival in Ohio, I think, this year, but that could be it. Yeah. But uh, anything else you want to say? No, I mean, just, just like like you said, you know, now, now we've crossed over into the 80s. Yeah, now shit's about to... Mo- uh, Motorhead fucking kicked a door open, and so now it's just fucking blasting speed and crunchy riffs. So uh, yeah, we have, we're gonna have some very influential bands mentioned next e- uh, next week. But until then, uh, I'm sorry we had to do this on a Friday that was so sunny. I wish it was more <laughs> overcast. But until the next time, this was <coughs> the heaviest song in the world, 75 to 79. What are we, what are we what are we saying goodbye to this week? Uh, this is because in the last episode I did <coughs> nothing but Sabbath songs I, I didn't get to play this so I wanted to outro with it and you know just speak about it a little bit this is another one of those um, like biker influenced psychedelic bands that you know just super crunchy super heavy this is uh I'm a freak by wicked lady from 1972 uh, and if you ever think that there's no nudity on YouTube just look up this song because their album covers a naked woman in a leather jacket Sweet. All right. Well, until then, this was the heaviest song in the world. Go fuck yourselves, you pieces of shit.